Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. This show is sponsored by Mark Drugs, who specialise in the custom compounding of medications, assuring that the client gets the proper prescriptions for their unique needs and conditions. They work with practitioners, integrating knowledge and treatment of experts to create comprehensive health plans. Visit markdrugs.com or call Roselle 630-529-3400 or Deerfield 847-419-9898. Today we're joined by Dr. Melody Keller, who's from Sydney, uh, Montana. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Well, we would absolutely love to know your background. Could you tell us what you've been doing to date? Sure. Well, I am a naturopathic doctor, and as you mentioned, my private practice is in Sydney, Montana. And I've been there for, well, in Sydney for a couple of years, but I've been in the eastern Montana area for seven years practicing now. So that's been... That's been quite a fun journey in learning all of the, the different ins and outs of, of practice and small towns and all that. So that's been pretty fun. I was actually raised in Seattle, and so I've uh, been been actually quite pleased to escape the big city and, and enjoy the, the taste and the, the more, more friendliness in a small town. So that's been really nice. But while I was there, I... Let's see. Well, I did my undergrad for part of it in Seattle at a community college down south of Seattle. And then I went to Eastern, well, I did a year in South Dakota at the Black Hill State and then transferred to Eastern Oregon University where I finished up my bachelor's degree. And that would have been, let's see, I graduated there in 2005 and then that fall I started at Bastyr University back in Seattle which is where I got my naturopathic degree Mm -hmm. and I graduated with that in 2010 shortly after that see about four or five months after graduation I got married and my husband is the one that's from the Sydney area so we got married and moved out here and took me a few months to to get the whole licensing process going and and uh, covered, mm-hmm. and 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 I opened my first office. I shared office space with a really great chiropractor, and that's where things kind of started growing from. And then moved my office up to Fairview, which is a little town well, about 12 miles north of Sydney. Um, had some great office space there. Worked with our local hospital on that one, and then. When this space became available actually in Sydney, I moved my office there, which is where I am now. And so that's been really nice. It's a little little closer to home, not so much of a commute there, which is kind of nice. Yeah. But also easier. I have two small children and, 
and uh, we're expecting our third here shortly oh. in a few more months. Congratulations. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're excited. You're going to have your hands full with three. Yes, yes, and they'll all be under five. Oh, wow. <laughs> Close together. So, oh, that's so nice. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be a little bit busy. I have an amazing front desk assistant who uh, not only helps with the front desk, but she also acts as part nanny. So oh. that's been really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to go down the naturopathic route rather than um, being an MD? Well, you know, it's it's just one of those things. I, I want to say it's kind of always been in my blood. I've just always been more interested in the natural healing and herbs. I, you know, we didn't use a lot of it growing up. We, my folks used some Shackley products. And so we had some echinacea tablets when we were sick and occasionally would take some, you know, some probiotics some lactobacillus, I think it was, or whatever, you know, the big jar that they had back then. Um, but I, I heard about it. So I started reading books on herbs and we knew a lady who was the aunt of a friend of mine. She worked at an herb store. So we started going there and, um, you know, getting herbs. I read some on herbs from an Ayurvedic perspective, and I had always been real interested in um, being a doctor of some kind. And I thought, oh, I want to deliver babies. Mm-hmm. And then the funny thing was, I was like, oh my goodness, that takes ten years of school. I don't think I want to do that. Well, I spent at least that long in school, anyways. <laughs> but that sounded pretty pretty crazy to a to a teenager or preteen at that point. But mm-hmm. um, decided that Bastyr was a really good fit because I liked the philosophy. I liked the natural medicine. And they also offered a midwifery program, which I had initially planned to take. And then after doing some of the, the pre, yeah, uh, pre-requirement classwork, I decided that, well, I'm, I'm more of a schedule type person. So, um, you know, being on call for <laughs> delivering babies probably wasn't really a good fit for the life that I had in mind. So, um, I decided to skip that part and just do the medicine. And so I treat kids in my office some as well, but not as many as, as I do adults. Mm-hmm. And where in your journey did you first hear about LDM? I I heard about it while I was at Bastyr. I can't remember which class it was, but I think we had a guest speaker in who was talking about it and I'm, I'm thinking she had MS and had been on LDN was able to actually get up from you know being wheelchair or couch bound to actually being able to have a regular life again which always really struck me and I thought it was really neat so I, I started looking into it then um, and always thought that that would be a really useful thing but didn't really have much chance to put that into practice until about four or five years ago when I started prescribing that for some patients. Mm-hmm. But um, How do you go about assessing which patients you prescribe LDN for? Well, right now I'm, I'm primarily using it with my patients who have Hashimoto's thyroiditis as an immune regulator. Mm-hmm. But I've also used it with a patient to help with um, with gastric function and and motility retraining after treatment for SIBO. 
Um, so I've done that. I have a couple of rheumatoid arthritis patients who I've put on it. And I've also used it on a couple of patients who have chronic Epstein-Barr virus with really good results. Mm-hmm. What dose do you start your patients off on? The, the Hashimoto's patients, I set them at <clears throat> half a milligram and then increase it by a half a milligram a week on the advice of the the local pharmacist that I work with. He said he's found that that tends to work better for people. And it, it really does because there, there are some people who do get the kind of odd side effect of the really vivid dreams. And so that allows them to, to sort of um, edge up slower and, and let that pass. Mm-hmm. But I've heard some pretty funny stories. <laughs> Well, I've been taking LDN for 14 years and I never had the vivid dreams. I feel I've I've been robbed of an experience because some of them sound pretty amazing, the dreams that people True, have. although, yeah, although some, <clears throat> I, I did have one patient who would get nightmares. So, you know, there's there's that side of it too. Mm-hmm. I had to back her down. But yeah, people tend to do really well. It does seem to help. I don't retest the antibodies all that frequently just because once I know they have it, it's something that, you know, the, the actual levels themselves are only sort of helpful as far as treatment goes. But I use that as part of a whole protocol, um, and that seems to be really helpful. There are, there are a couple of patients where uh, one of my rheumatoid patients didn't, didn't notice any improvement while taking it, unfortunately, so we've had to switch her to something else. And then another of my patients who... Well, we're not quite sure what her diagnosis is yet, but when she started taking that, it actually increased her pain and and symptoms back to the level they were at. So we had to have her discontinue that. But for the most part, people tend to do really well with that sleeping better, decrease in pain, and just, just feeling better all around. Less fatigue with the with Epstein-Barr patients. They've been able to, you know, Stop with some of the other herbal treatments or never use them in the case of one patient and that's been all that he's needed. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you a good question there. It's just, <laughs> I was waiting for you to finish. Now it's gone. I should have written it down. So, Oh, I hate when that happens. I know. It's awful, isn't it? So the, the patients that you have on LDN this is the question, mm-hmm. who've got Hashimoto's or other thyroid conditions where they're taking thyroid medications, have you found that they've needed to adjust their thyroid medications by taking less? You know, I, I haven't found that too much yet, but I tend to be on the really conservative side with my thyroid dosing in the first place. Mm-hmm. So typically I have them on, on a nature thyroid um, product, um, occasionally it's armor, but typically I have them on a fairly low dose, so I don't. But also, too, when I start them on the naltrexone, I tell them, you know, it may normalize your thyroid, we may lower your dose, but I don't make any, you know, increases in their thyroid medications. You, I'll usually run the labs and note that they probably could use a little bit more, but we're going to start you on the naltrexone, so let's wait, you know, two, three months, retest it, and just see if we need to even make any adjustments at that point. So I kind of use that instead of a a dose adjustment on the thyroid. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Rather than increasing it to later, have to decrease it. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of the patients, most people would really prefer to be off of it entirely. 
Um, I haven't quite gotten patients that far yet. And, you know, sometimes follow-ups are a little further in between than, than would be maybe ideal. But I, I usually have them doing a number of different things with diet as well. So sometimes it just takes a little while. But I haven't had any wild swings in thyroid number function, but I tend to be pretty conservative with my dosing on that. Mm-hmm. When you introduce LDN to your patients, how long does it normally take before you see an improvement? Hmm. You know, usually it's within a month, sometimes within a couple of weeks. I usually notice a fairly fairly quick response to it. Mm-hmm. When you say you notice a fairly quick response, what kind of, sorry, hiccuping now, what kind of response do you normally see? Well, in, in my one patient in particular, he's got Hashimoto's thyroiditis as well as um, a mild mild diabetes um, had some arthritis and some different pain pain going on and let's see I followed up with him probably a month after I started that and he's he's feeling much better his shoulder pain that was that was chronic and some of the other arthritic joints are feeling much better he's sleeping better Um, I can't remember we haven't retested his a1c yet so I'm not sure if there's any direct correlation with blood sugars um, that, that I'm aware of but he was starting to feel a lot better really quickly, which was great because we'd been treating his thyroid and then I decided we probably should go ahead and run the antibodies because somehow that had been missed previously. And once we figured that out and started the naltrexone, everything started kind of falling back into place, especially with that pain, which was really great. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that LDN isn't a standalone treatment and many doctors especially naturopathic doctors, have so many different tools in their toolbox that they use alongside of LDN. Let's say a Hashimoto's thyroiditis patient comes to see you. What is the approach that you normally follow for that patient? Sure. Well, you know, I I take a look at all of their lifestyle things and, and stress, but one of the big things that I'll work on with them is diet. So, um, you know, we, we have a few different ways of approaching that. I have a kind of a standard elimination diet. I tend to use the virgin diet plan, which has uh, elimination for the top seven food allergens as kind of a starting point. Or sometimes we'll do um, a blood test, which is really nice because that can test for up to 184 different food sensitivities. But with, and especially with the Hashimoto's, that's useful but with them, I go even a little bit more in depth, and I put them typically on the autoimmune paleo uh, diet, and that works really well in eliminating all of the inflammation-causing foods. And most patients feel really good when they're on that. I had one Hashimoto's diabetic patient who you know, had, was back down to a normal A1C, had lost a lot of weight. His doctors were, you know, were really pleased with that. The other ones that he was seeing. Um, but then, you know, once he started coming, coming off off of that diet, things kind of reversed back a little bit. So it just it just kind of varies. But I do find that diet really useful for autoimmune conditions of all kinds. But it is a very rigorous um, diet with a lot of things eliminated from it. So it's challenging for patients to do that. Mm-hmm. How long do they have to be on the the diet to discover what they should and shouldn't be eating? Yeah, usually with that one, I'll have them on it for six months. 
Wow. I mean, I, I'd like to have them at least at least three months mm-hmm. before they start the reintroduction process, but six months to really allow their bodies to heal and and calm things down. So while we're doing you know some other herbs, I usually also work on their adrenal glands and get those those stress hormones back under control. Because what I find is with a lot of my patients, their cortisol levels are actually too low. They've they've been so uh, thoroughly burnt out that they're not producing enough, which also greatly affects the thyroid. So we're usually working on that as well as the diet. And that's at least a six-month protocol generally as well. Mm-hmm. And what kind of pain, other than the, the patient you said with rheumatoid arthritis, do you get in your practice? Or do you see, I should say? Um. You know, I, I don't see a lot of patients with pain. I currently have a patient, a newer patient that's got some chronic um, neuropathy in her feet, and I just saw her. I'm not sure if naltrexone is something that would be a possibility due to some different um, sensitivities, so we're, we're working on some different angles, but that is definitely something considering. But generally speaking, I don't see a lot of patients with pain concerns. I do some <clears throat> some active hands-on pain treatment mm-hmm. with them, but and that tends to help quite a bit. But more often I see um, you know, menopausal complaints, fatigue, fertility issues, um, and GI problems. So I don't see a lot of chronic pain issues. Mm-hmm. Some, but, but not as much. What is the age range of your patients? Well, I treat anybody from newborns, and then I think my oldest patient one is currently oh, upper 80s, I think. I'd have to check her chart. I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. So a, a very wide range scale, age scale there. Yeah. Yeah, I do. The, the most common age would be, you know, from the 30s to the to the 50s mm-hmm. are most of the patients that I see would fall into that age range. I was talking to a doctor just now and we were talking about Lyme disease and she said that Lyme yes. disease is sexually transmitted and you know babies are being born with Lyme disease. Have you seen any yeah. babies or young children with Lyme disease? I have not. I have recently started working more with, with Lyme disease patients. And um, so I, I've diagnosed one patient, but she already had, had, had her kiddo. Um, I don't think we tested her daughter for it, but that, at that point I had referred her on to another practitioner so that I wasn't, um, I didn't have the experience to treat that at that point. And my current Lyme patient, um, I haven't seen him in a couple of months, but um, that I'm I'm not enough in the Lyme treatment field to do that, mm-hmm. or to to notice that at this point. I'm kind of starting to to get my feet wet in a little bit more in that area as I find the the rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of the autoimmune conditions tie back to Lyme or one of its co-infections, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of starting to to take me down that path a little bit more into Lyme treatment and diagnosis. And you mentioned chronic fatigue there. Uh, what do you do to help those patients who could have chronic fatigue as a, a symptom, like um, 
multiple sclerosis can cause chronic fatigue and uh, fibromyalgia, for example. What is sure. your protocol for those patients? Uh, generally speaking, I'll, I'll start with diet because I do find that, you know, what you're fueling your body with really makes a big difference in how you're feeling and getting, cutting out those foods that actually your body reacts to that you wouldn't know because you eat them on a regular basis does tend to help. But with them, I do a lot of work with the adrenals because especially in those folks, I will find that their cortisol is completely depleted and, you know, that really affects daily energy levels. So we do some salivary testing for that. And then based on the levels of that, the, the level of, of adrenal fatigue that, that I gather based on the, the numbers from the lab um, and their symptoms, which always seem to correlate really closely. And I really like the lab that I'm using there. And then I put them on the, the treatment protocol, which involves some some drops that I use three times a day, a treatment protocol I learned from a, another chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned um, Epstein-Barr virus patients. Yes. I had Epstein-Barr, which we call glandular fever, back uh-huh. when I was 13. I was really sick with it. Uh, I had the best part of a year off school. I was 13 not when you want to have time off school. Uh, right. And oh, it's unbelievable. All the glands in my body were swollen. My face, I looked like a hamster. Um, I can remember it being really embarrassing because the doctor was feeling the glands under my arms and in between my legs. And you can imagine being 13. That was really yeah. horrifying. Invasive and embarrassing. Yeah. Very, mm-hmm. <laughs> very embarrassing. And I'm now 61, so that's such a long time ago. What do you do as a protocol for people that have Epstein-Barr? How do you help them get over it quickly? Is there any way of making it quick? Yeah, and typically I, I haven't seen anybody with it acutely yet at this point in my practice. I've I've run some tests for it when, you know, when other treatments aren't working and we're just not making as much progress as I'd expect. Sometimes I'll go back and, and we've run the titers, the different, um, few different labs on that. And, and I'll see that they're reactivated. And so there is an herbal protocol that I got from one of my colleagues. And unfortunately I can't remember who it is, but it, it involves a four week kind of a rotational program, you ramp up on your doses and stay at those levels for a little while and then kind of ramp back down. Um, and that involves some, some immune boosting mushrooms, some antiviral treatments, some elderberry and, some, uh, you know, multivitamins and fish oil are of course always part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the entire protocol off the top of my head. I have it. I have it on my, mm-hmm. so it's, um, it's all computer. natural, um, right. Supplements. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and then somehow I'm not quite sure how we decided to try the naltrexone for that particular condition. I think I think that ended up being sort of a coincidence based on um, she also has Hashimoto's, the patient that I started this with, mm-hmm. and everything started to improve once we put her on that naltrexone. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? All the different yeah, things that I, you can I do. Kind of think <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm thinking that you know maybe the there's some link I've been learning about between Epstein Barr and thyroid conditions, so that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. If you had to say a list of the four top supplements that you use in your practice, what would they be? Mm-hmm. Well, for for the adrenal stuff, I use. Um, a, a, an herbal combination product. I've used several. My current favorite is called Optimal Adrenal, um, and Seeking Health puts that one out. Um, so that would be one of my top ones. Pregnenolone, which is which is that hormonal precursor, is also another of the, the supplements for that in particular. But we also go through, oh goodness, um, especially this cold and flu season. Elderberry syrup is a big one. Um, and then I have some some different homeopathic combination products I use for for thyroid and adrenal health. And uh, gosh, it, it just kind of depends on the condition. I've got different herbs that I really like. I'll use for for um, some of the the female hormonal components. Uh, a, a combination tincture that I switch, um, you know, halfway through the month. I'd have to go look at our ordering history and kind of figure out the rest. <laughs> But um, you mentioned yeah. um, elderberry syrup for mm-hmm. this time of the year. Is that something that people can buy over the counter? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's even some of the I think the local drugstores around us carry that as well. I carry one that has some some cherry bark and some some mushroom extracts in it as well. So it's a little bit more uh, than just elderberry syrup. But that does work well. And it's nice because being a syrup, um, you know, kids will take it. My mm-hmm. kids love it, and I give it to them about once a day as a preventive or, or more often if they start coming down with something. Oh, so you can take it as a preventative. That's handy to know. So yes. What What is it primarily for? Colds, coughs, sore throats, runny Pretty noses? Much or... it, <laughs> yeah, all of, the, all of those. And and that one, you know, I can take that as well. It's it's a pregnancy safe as well, so that one's really nice, and the taste is pretty mild. The one that I have with the extra things in there, it tastes a little bit more like prune juice. But yeah, viral infections is what it's primarily known oh, for. Right. But you know, I don't, I don't always, you know, differentiate between the two. It fights off bacterial infections as well. It's quite a nice mm. blend, and you know, easy for people to take. Because my understanding was, if it's a viral infection, it can't be treated. So if this is something ah. that can treat a viral infection, we don't have naturopathic doctors here in England. This is what I'm saying. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, no, it's very good for viral. There's there's many herbs that are good for viral infections. Elderberry being one of them. Um, my other favorite current blend is one called Viracon. And that one, it has elderberry among, I don't know, three, four other herbs in there. And some of the herbs that are in that blend, I also use in my, my herbal blends for uh, my rheumatoid arthritis patients to help fight off some chronic infections that are kind of, you know, those, those wild ones that sort of act like viruses, but they're bacteria. And um, so they work really well. And those, those are a capsule, which is nice, but I also discovered with my kids that sometimes that was it was a little bit stronger than the elderberry and I actually would open the capsule and put it into applesauce Mm. and my my girls thought that was really cool because it 
green powder when you open the capsule and it turns the applesauce bright pink. <laughs> and it actually doesn't taste that in there, but they thought it was pretty magical. So, mm. so that was a, a, a hit in that department. But it's nice because that way, you know, if you have somebody that can't do capsules and they need something a little stronger, that's a really good option. And I've had that help stop vomiting, um, flu. I had a patient with a, who'd had a cold for 10 days start taking that, felt better the same day. Oh, wow. I discovered um, oregano oil mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, which was a big eye-opener for me with helping with a UTI that wouldn't go. I have MS, by the way, and UTIs ah. are the norm for me. Um, so difficult, yeah, yeah. You know, the oregano oil was good. For people who have um, UTIs, what do you recommend mm -hmm. them to take? You know, I have a homeopathic blend I like that, that's really helpful that I've used with a couple of those patients. It's called kidney tone, but it's really more, more a bladder remedy. But I'll also recommend, of course, lots of water. Um, and I like to use cranberry juice as well as blueberry juice. And those blend nicely together. The blueberry uh, kind of takes the edge off of that cranberry. Mm -hmm. But... Um, that tends to be usually enough. Some of the, you know, I'll use some of the different herbal blends. I've got a number of different you know, antimicrobial herbal blends that I'll have them take as well or, or blend it up um, an herbal mix that they can make into tea. I do occasionally use some antibiotics too. I've had a, a couple patients where um, by the time they came to see me, it was already into her kidneys. So we tried... Um, some herbs for about two days just to see you know, at, at real high doses to see where we could get and it wasn't enough. So then I prescribed an antibiotic on top of that and just had her continue the herbals mm -hmm. uh, alongside of it. I found that some UTIs have been very resistant to antibiotics. Um, one time I had a UTI that was there for over three months and I'd had five different courses of antibiotics and then they would keep sending away the sample and it would come back that it was resistant to the antibiotic I'd had and it, it would be okay if I took another one. So then I would take the next one and then they would test mm -hmm. it and say, oh, no, <laughs> it's resistant to that now yeah. and take this one. And it was just going on and it was so painful, unbelievably painful. Yeah. It was like passing acid yeah. and... I was really, Ooh. I was raw. I was so sore down below. It was unbelievable. It was, yeah. was going to go on forever. But it does worry yeah. me I when you take yeah. antibiotics and then you become resistant to it. In my mind, if I became sick with something else and needed an antibiotic, what happens if there isn't an antibiotic that would work for me? Sure. Yeah. And that's, that is a big concern. Um, you know, I had a patient who was having a chronic UTI issue. Um, and so we did, we did manage to clear it up with antibiotics that time, but I don't, I also had her on some strong probiotics and my, my thinking there was, you know, we, we did a food allergy test with her and she was sensitive to a lot of things. And what I find with food sensitivities is it's not just a gut issue, there can be, of course, those symptoms that you would expect, but what I find with patients with food sensitivities is it tends to settle in the areas where their organs are the weakest. So by having oh, okay. her take out 
a number of those foods, mm-hmm. she hasn't had an, a urinary tract infection since then. Well, that's that's good to know. I had yeah. food and sen- another sorry. another. Oh, I was going to say another of my favorite um, just quick off-the-shelf remedies, I like homeopathic cantharis. That really covers a lot of those the burning pain symptoms of the UTI, and that oh. seems to help quite a bit. Also good for sunburn. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, what I was going to say was I was tested food sensitivity and gluten, not surprised, mm-hmm. dairy, not surprised. Um, yeah. But eggs and yeast which meant dried fruit. I couldn't have um, peanuts and pistachio nuts yeah. and um, cashews, which I absolutely love. Brazil nuts, I couldn't. Walnuts, I can eat. Uh, but the, it ah. is so limiting what you can have. Cooking at home is fine. Eating out is a bit of a nightmare because people think, yeah. you know, gluten-free bread. Well, no, I can't because it's got yeast in it. <laughs> And um, eggs, generally, and, yeah. Yeah, and I love, I love eggs. I used to eat a lot of omelets and things, but so I, yeah, I'm, I'm I, doing as I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing as I'm told. So you've made mm-hmm. me feel better by doing that. Um, I haven't had a UTI for a while. Touch wood, and hopefully, I mean, I hadn't realised that eating the wrong foods could be causing a UTI. So maybe i'm preventing it hopefully yeah well and i i generally try with my patients you know to have them obviously eliminate the food allergens but then i i work on doing some gut healing with probiotics and some good gi healing um herbal treatments there's there's a number of different good blends that are made by by the nutraceutical companies and i'll have them do those for a couple of months and then slowly try adding back in some of those foods. It allows the body some time to, to rest the immune system and to, uh, to kind of heal up the gut so that those reactants aren't there. And sometimes I find that people can, can then tolerate some of their food sensitivities, um, you, know, that, you know, by eating them you know, once or twice a week maybe. And sometimes that, that can really help. Um, I've looked at, too, I, I'm con- considering trying some naltrexone with my food sensitivity patients to see if that helps with the immune aspect of that. I haven't done it yet, but it's, it's been on the back of my mind to see if that might be a beneficial um, addition to that treatment. Mm-hmm. Well, we've come to our end of the show and you've been an amazing guest. Thank you very much. And for well, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> for people who are listening, who are looking for an LDM prescriber, how do they find you? Well, they can find me online at my website, radiantnaturalhealth.info. Um, you can Google me. I, I, you know, If you're in the local area, I think it pops up somewhere near the top of the search screen. I also have some radio ads locally, um, and they can reach me by phone. My staff is always answering, and that number is 406-944-4101. And shortly, we should have our online scheduling back up through the website pretty soon. We're just in the midst of changing over some things. Mm -hmm. So that's temporarily offline. And the million-dollar question is, do you have a waiting list? I do not. Okay. Do you do any Skype or telemed? kind of consultations 
I do. Um, typically, I like to see a patient in person at least once. Mm-hmm. If that's not possible, then I would be working more as a consultant than as as a primary. I'd have to check all of the the things. I do work a lot by phone. Typically, you know, I have patients that travel a couple hours to see me sometimes from, from some of the areas they come. Um, we're, we're a little bit spread out out here, but um, I do some, so it would just kind of depend. If somebody needed that, uh, they would have to be also working with another doctor if I wasn't able to see them at least once to establish, mm-hmm. you know, physical exam, for yeah. example. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great talking with you. This show is sponsored by Mark Drugs, who specialise in the custom compounding of medications, assuring that the client gets the proper prescriptions for their unique needs and conditions. They work with practitioners, integrating knowledge and treatment of experts to create comprehensive health plans. Visit markdrugs.com or call Roselle 630-529-3400 or Deerfield 847-419-9898 Any questions or comments you may have please email me linda l-i-n-d-a at l-d-n rt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.